Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club Special Edition. Our goal here is to share our passion for elite running and offer some tips to make your running better than ever. We do that uniquely by sharing the views of a certified coach and an athlete. Today, we're going to cover an interesting article written by Ambie Burfoot that asks the question, should we even have the Olympic marathon trials? <laughs> Plus, we'll talk about super shoes and how much of a difference they actually make. And then we'll turn to training. How do you structure a week of training? We're going to break it down and talk about it. I am your host, Dean Thompson. And today, Co has come back from New York where he has been at the Milrose Games this past weekend. I'm so excited to hear about it. And so here is my favorite running conversation partner, Co Booker. How's it going? Good. How did it go? It was a lot of fun. Um, had a good workout on Saturday in, in Central Park with some guys. And we we did about 12 miles at 5, 550 to 6 flat. Uh, it was it, the second loop with the hills was rough. But, you know, other than that, it was. Yeah, up. the hills in Central Park are a lot harder than people think they are, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it was not a joke. It was my first time there. And, yeah, it was not a joke. Yeah, yeah. But was Central Park great? Yeah, there were a lot of people. I mean, it's Saturday morning. We were there pretty yeah. early, but we were weaving in and out of people the whole time. Well, I saw your, uh, I saw the Strava, uh, so I saw how fast you guys ran. I literally can't run that fast right now, <laughs> so uh, so thanks for making me look bad. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, that was pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And you got to run with some guys. There was a guy there from On, right, yeah. On Athletics, and, yeah. uh, and several other guys. You guys just kind of found each other on a message board and just met up in Central Park because everybody was going to be there for the Milrose Games, right? Yeah, there was a guy who just he needed some help for a workout, and there were a bunch of us that thought it'd be fun, so we all showed up. Got to have lunch with some uh, with some celebrities, or running yeah. celebrities at least. Yeah, had a coffee with Joe Quecker and Jordy Beamish. That was a lot of fun, too. That is cool. That is cool. Well, what did you think about the, the Milrose games themselves? What was your highlight? Uh, probably that men's two-mile. Um, it, was, it was nuts. I mean, it seemed like... Going into the race, it was going to be Kerr and, and Grant going at it from the front. And it was kind of a question mark if anyone was going to be able to go with them at that pace. And it seemed like no one really could, but it was it was a pretty nuts race. Yeah. And Kerr, my goodness, I, I was, you know, I know he I knew he was going for the record. Um, and I don't know that it surprised me he broke the record, but he did it in pretty convincing fashion. <laughs> So, uh, and then of course, Grant Fisher ran a good time. I mean, what was he? 803, I think that uh, sounds right for yeah. second place. Um, it's an American, he ran an American record, um, uh, in his, in his race, um, but wasn't good enough to beat Josh Kerr. I'm beginning to look at Josh Kerr a little bit differently these days. Aren't you? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's talking a lot, but it seems like he's backing it up. I mean, the way they did it too, they came through a mile in, I think it was four Oh three i think it was 403 so yeah 356 the, for the second mile yeah he had a huge negative split to run it so i mean running eight flat with a big negative split is super always impressive so yeah yeah <laughs> impressive well let's talk about the the race that included the guy who's the opposite personality from josh kerr <laughs> yared Nagoose. yeah uh he won that that uh, uh what's it the model wanamaker mile um the wanamaker mile has been around a long time i remember the wanamaker mile, mile when i was young um, that's been around and it's, that's a very prestigious, probably the most prestigious indoor race on the planet. Yeah. I'd say, I would say, 
And uh, Jared Nagus, American, came through and, and ran 347, as he did last year, right? I think he ran 347 last year in this race and won it. Yeah, I believe he ran slightly faster. It was 347, maybe a couple tenths of a second, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what did, how did he look? Uh, he looked smooth. Um, I mean, I it wasn't, I mean, as close as Hobbs Kessler got to him, it didn't really seem a question to me that Yard was going to win it. Uh, he, he looked controlled the whole way. I mean, at one point, George Mills looked like maybe he had a shot. I mean, he beat Yard and at BU in that 5K. Um, but he he kind of tripped up on it looked like just in thin air. I don't know exactly what he tripped up <laughs> on or if his spike got caught or something. But um, yeah, it, he looks just smooth. probably just getting tired. Getting yeah. spike caught. We've all done that, right? Yeah. Well, what about Hobbs Kessler running 348? That surprised me. Did that surprise you? Yeah, Hobbs is popping off. I mean, I saw his Let's Run interview afterwards where he's kind of talked about how he's overhauled his training, and it's pretty interesting what they're doing. Um, he's not running long runs anymore. Uh, yeah, he's not running anything over seven miles. Yeah, in one I, well, I th- yeah. Well, I think, I think in workouts he's probably still going over yeah. over seven miles, but in like one easy continuous effort, he's not doing anything. Yeah, seven miles. It's crazy. Yeah, but but he's still getting in what seventy five to ninety miles a week. Yeah, I he's, think he's so. Doubling every day, but yeah. So it's not like he's running low mileage. It's just he's doing it a little bit different than most of them do. Yeah, I mean the idea makes sense to me. Maybe if you can get more stimulus out of running more hard sessions rather than one long run uh, for a middle distance racer, if you're predominantly in the mile, like, I don't know. Well, you know, I think it all depends on the person and obviously it it agrees with him. So, uh, so that's great. That's great. Cause man, I'd love to, Jared Nagus is, you know, he's, he's on top of the world or, or, you know, in that discussion. And now if Hobbs Kessler is going to be right there with him, that'd be great to have two Americans up at the top of the world in the mile and the 1500 this year. Yeah. Well, um, I also liked Ellie St. Pierre. What, what about her? You know, she's kind of, well, she had an injury and she's been out of, out of commission for a while. For her to come back and run a 416 mile American record was very, very impressive. How did she look? Really good. I mean, you can see she blew the whole field away in the last 400. She, you know, when she decided she was going to go, no woman else was in the race. I thought Jess Hole might have a chance. She looked really good this indoor season, but it was night and day between those two. Yeah. And as good as Jessica Hole has been, uh, oh, like you said, this indoor season, but even going back to last season, she's looked really good to have somebody just run away from her. That's, I mean, that's, that's like uh Kenyan, like, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Oh my goodness. Well, anything else from that? There was a 60 meter hurdle world record for women's yep. 60 meter hurdles, right? Yep. That was uh, impressive. Um, anything else that you yeah. saw? Uh, I don't know if you saw the drama in the women's two mile, but um, Medina Aisa was DQ'd shortly after the race. So she she actually won. She crossed the crossed the tape first, um, but she they had a two turn or a turn stagger because they had way too many people in the race. I think fourteen, and they, she was on the second group. And I don't know if there was a, a language barrier issue or whatever happened, but she cut immediately into lane one and was DQ'd for it. Oh my! After goodness. winning the race, but I mean, you know, uh, if you add on an additional second, maybe what she gained, Laura Muir would have run a faster time than her anyways, if she had, yeah, so I don't know. It, always hard to tell. Yeah. Um, and, and with something like that, but that's too bad. That's, that's yeah. just too bad. Yeah. It was a bummer, man. Wow. Yeah. I saw where she was DQ'd. I was wondering exactly why I didn't, I don't think I saw the whole reason. Yeah. If you see the, if, if you just watch off the start, she immediately cuts down to lane one when she's no. out 
four, I think four or five. Well, I'm glad it was something that obvious. Yeah, it wasn't very a questionable call. It was just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like she got three quarters of the way through the turn and then broke. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, did you see the article from Amby Burfoot? He, he wrote this article. Um, for those people listening who don't know, Amby Burfoot, um, you know, he's he's a writer, been a writer about running things for a long time. Um, his premise for this article that came out of MarathonHandbook.com is that we don't get the best marathoners with our process for picking the marathon, our Olympic marathoners. And so his premise is that we should do something different and that we don't need an Olympic qualifying marathon. Um, and he brings up the name Christine Clark from year 2000. She, you know, she wasn't even in the top 10 in the United States and she finished in the top three. Um, and then he brought up Joan Benoit. You know, when, when she, back in 84, she almost couldn't run the trials because of an injury. And then she winds up setting the world record in the Olympics eventually. So, um, yeah, I, I get what he's saying. Um, what did you think about it? Yeah. Uh, it was a good read, but I don't agree with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't like the idea of having a committee decide things. I, I, I mean, I get what he's saying where you, there is more to someone's abilities in one day one performance but uh you know the the olympics in this case is going to be one race or a couple rounds right like you have to be yep. able to show up on the day you can't they're not going to advance you to the final because you have the fastest seed um that's true so yeah. I, I and then it, the other option is if you have a committee you get into some some weird issues like i i think of abby caldwell the australian who was left off their world championship team in 2022 because she didn't have the standard at the time she won their their uh national championship and she went after a chase at the time two weeks later got it and the australian um selection committee told them no you can't you're not racing at worlds uh, yeah they, wow. they let her the commonwealth games but it was uh I just hate situations like that. I think you should be allowed to just let, lay it out on the in the race and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I like that too. And But I love this argument just because I like controversy and I like <laughs> to be in the middle of it and I like just to talk about it. But, yep. um, you know, the question is, would we rather have Sisson, D'Amato, and Sena rather than Sisson, O'Keefe, and Linworm, which is what we got? I, there could be an argument that, you know, Sisson, D'Amato, and Sena would be a better a better group to send to the Olympics. But um, to your point, uh, I, you know, back, I, I'm thinking of that about the last Olympics in Atlanta. I thought the men's field was, I, I hate to say it for, for those, those guys that made it, but it was, it was relatively weak um, because that's just who made it. Uh, but I think what they should do is a hybrid system. This is my idea, right? So that if you have any, like, the, the, I don't think there was anybody that was an obvious choice this Olympics, right? But the last Olympics there was. I think Rupp was, and I, he, there was no way Rupp shouldn't be on the team last time, not this time, last time. And so I think if you got somebody who is that clearly out in front of everybody else, then I'm not, I'm not opposed to saying before the race, this guy's in or this girl's in. Um, again, has to be, has to be some kind of committee and it can't be the USATF. Uh, I mean, I just don't trust them. I, I hate to say that, but I just don't, um, there's, there's some of the crazy things they've done is, is, is wacky. 
Um, but if you got some obvious picks, go ahead and, and make that choice. That way, Joan Benoit, back in the 84, you could have went ahead and put her on there. You know, it would have made sense. But this year, I wouldn't have put anybody on there anyway. Because I did now Connor Mance was probably he seemed like an obvious pick, but I don't know. It, 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 you take the 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 fourth, fifth, and sixth guys, your team wouldn't be a lot weaker than what it is now, right? So I thought we were deeper that from from first to to sixth um, in the men's race was a fairly small distance. In the past, a lot of times it's been you know there's been a four minute difference between first to third. Well, in that case, it's different. I don't know. What do you think about some kind of hybrid system? Yeah, I um, I still I think I'm just opposed to a committee in in general. Yeah. I mean, I you see it in like the the college football playoff too, where you know everyone's upset. You know, Florida State wins all their games in a Power Five conference and they don't make it in. Um, yeah, now is there and something like that? I if you could propose a, a way where USATF doesn't do it, I don't know who would do it then. How do you how do you pick the committee? What are the standards for someone who's that much better than everyone else yeah. that they get in? I, it just seems like a slippery slope to me where when we already have issues with a company like, you know, Nike uh, yeah. owning the USATF almost and putting yeah. you know putting USAs in, in Oregon every year and all the other things that they, they do. Um, I don't know. I, I'd much rather just be able to ha- allow the athletes the chance to decide their destiny. Probably right. Well, let's, how about another subject? How about super shoes? You know, I thought I saw a let's run thread that talked about how CJ Albertson and Zach Panning probably would have made it if they hadn't been wearing the shoes they were u- using because they weren't wearing super shoes. Um, you know, the, the, is it P-backs? Is that the way you say it? Yeah. P-backs, uh, foam, uh, is it, supposed to be the, the foam that is, you know, setting the world on fire right now. And Brooks doesn't have that foam. Um, and it seems like a company that doesn't use that, doesn't use P-backs is kind of committing malpractice. But at the same time, Brooks has been around for a long time. It's not like they're this small company that doesn't have the money to invest in it. So it makes you think they know something we don't know. <laughs> so I don't know that CJ and Zach would have qualified with another shoe. What do you think? Yeah, um, it's an interesting argument. I mean, I think I think the shoe does matter. Um, we've seen. Yeah. I mean, you can you can look at a lot of data. Yeah. Uh, since since the the first, I guess it was Nike's Vaporfly. Since that, just what's happened since then with times. Um, and well, yeah, I, I can't imagine Brooks is deciding. Oh, we're just going to make a worse shoe. There has to be some reason that they're they're not using a full P-backs because they do use some P. I think it's their Hyperion Elite. Hyperion yeah. Max with everyone. They use a little bit of P-backs, but it's not a completely uh, P-backs shoe. So I, I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, it's an interesting argument. They, they have done some testing, but you know that the, the thing about testing these days is I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I just don't trust testing anymore. Uh, so many things we've seen over the last few years, you know, uh, it's all questionable. It depends on who's funding the study and, and everything else. But I can say this from a super shoe standpoint, I, you know, I, I was wearing the uh, Saucony Endorphin Pros um, for a couple of years. I, I set a couple of really fast state records. Um, when I was 55, I ran 16:36 for 5K and 27:17 for 8K, um, which are pretty fast times for an old guy. Um, and I was wearing those, and then I've since now I've got the Endorphin Elites. Man, they feel great. You can just you can just feel. I ran a marathon in them, you know, last week, and I just. 
my legs just recover so much faster. It's it's really amazing. Um, so I, you got you yes, they have to be helping for sure. Um, but you got to wonder how much is actually they're helping and how much of it is they're helping a little bit, but then people have this confidence that's a little overblown because they know they've got something that's helping them. You think there's anything to that? Yeah, I mean, there could be. Um, they definitely feel springier. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and I don't know if there's something to maybe you're not getting as much energy return as the companies would like you to believe, but for some reason your legs feel better after them. So you're, you can work out harder. Um, yeah. I don't know. Cause a lot of people at this point are using super shoes for workouts. I, I use, you know, like plastic plated super yeah. shoes. I don't, I don't use carbon plated super shoes for, for training, but well, uh, the one one decent study I saw seemed to indicate that the carbon is not what the difference maker is. It's yeah. the foam. Yeah. Um, and, and here I would go back and I would say something you said earlier about it. It seemed to start with Nike, but when you go back and you look at the the times, it really started with Adidas. Uh, before the Nike shoe, Adidas had the. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but they, they had a, a shoe with a little bit different foam in it. And when you looked at it, Adidas was doing really well, um, there for, for a year or so until Nike came out with their shoe and then it was all Nike athletes. So I, I think that this all started with Adidas. That may be a little controversial, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, maybe that was before. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm sure. No, well, I, yeah, I wish I could remember that yeah. thing that the thing that gets me is I, I don't understand how a track spike, I don't understand how the foam in a track spike, which is only what half an inch thick. I don't see how it can make that big of a difference. Do you? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, I, I don't think people believe that track spikes may give you as much energy return. Uh, super shoes are always going to give you more energy return on the roads. Yeah, it's a harder surface. Um, so, but we're know, seeing an awful lot of world records in the on the track as well. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing world records on the track too, though. Um, so I think maybe it's it, it's giving you some sort of advantage, but I don't think it's quite as much as a road road shoe for yeah. you know marathon or. Yeah, you're probably right, but man, I don't know. It you know it's made it hard. You really can't compare an yeah. athlete you know from 30 years ago to today. You just yep. you just really can't do it. Yep. But it makes some of those athletes that ran fast back in the 80s, you know, makes them look really good now. It yep. makes Alberto Salazar's 208 marathon look really stout, yep. you know. Oh, my goodness. Well, one last thing. Uh, Josh Kerr and Jake Whiteman have been saying some pretty pointed things um, about Jakob Ingebrigtsen, right? I guess you've read some of that. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's Whiteman basically said that he and Kerr have an advantage over Jakob because they have more speed than he does. And all they got to do is stay with him and beat him in, in the kick, which is the way both of them beat, beat him. Um, now I would argue that one of those losses from Jakob was may have been because he was a little under the weather. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it may yeah. have been. Um, but there's some, they're, they're, they're coming straight at him. What do you think about the comments? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, it, I think for a little bit, uh, Josh Kerr kept going on different media spots and kept going on his tour and people were starting to turn and get a little bit upset and be like, okay, this doesn't seem to be a rivalry because Jakob isn't responding. Well, then Jakob finally did respond, uh, in a Norwegian paper and I don't know, but he said something pretty funny. He comes off as a little more charismatic 
than Josh yeah. does. I, I can't remember what it was, but he's, Josh called him disrespectful and he's like, well, I, I've never had dinner with him, so I don't know. He doesn't know my table manners or I think it was something <laughs> like that is what Jakob said. Um, but then Josh appears to have backed up what he's been saying uh, indoors yeah. at Miller's. I mean, he didn't run 756 at Jakob ran outdoors, but you can't really, it's kind of apples to oranges almost indoors to outdoors. So. Well, I think so too, especially a uh, uh, race that distance. Yeah. Um, are you, do you think they're just playing mind games with each other? Do you think that's what this is all about? Yeah. Um, I almost think Jakob would have been better off just not saying anything. I, I think that would have made Josh even more upset if he just didn't even deem it worthy of a response. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's it, it'll make for an exciting race. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. Now, there is something to be said for the idea, you know, particularly in the mile 1,500-meter distances that – uh, the the guy with the better kick is usually the one that that comes out on top. So yeah. uh, I, I tell you what, this year's fifteen hundred in the Olympics is going to be absolutely mind blowing. It is going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, going to be every bit as fun as the uh, World Championships were last year, and then some. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Jakob finally decided to learn his lesson at pre though. Um, you know he he took the t- kick out of yard. One of those guys who probably does have a faster kick than he does. But you know, when you run three forty three, uh, yard can't kick as fast. So I think he, I mean, he's probably going to have to run three twenty six, three twenty five, you know, to, to take the kick out of Kerr Whiteman or yard or Laros or, you know, any, any number of guys. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You do, but don't you think that's probably what he's going to try to do? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. and then, which will be another thing. I'm sure he'll try the double again in the 5K. So I've been surprised that in a 5K at the World Championships, no one's tried to run fast against him yet. Yeah, um, yeah. They haven't They haven't went hard. They haven't tried to run 12.35, you know. Um, yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if someone, if they're hoping, you know, he'll he'll take it out of him in the 1500 and then he's weaker in the 5K. So. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting to watch. That's for sure. Well, you know what I think is interesting? Well, I guess it's, it's beginning to change, especially with Kerr at this point. Whiteman, I mean, he's been injured. It's hard to say with him, but you you, you expect the Jakob to be in the finals of the 1500 in the Olympics. Yeah. He's about the only one that you, you're like, well, he'll be there. I wonder who else is going to be in that race. But I guess Kerr, the, the things he's done lately – um, he seems like a lock now. Nagus seems like yeah. he should be a lock. Um, yeah, Whiteman's got a little more to prove this year before uh, before I think he's a lock. But yeah, and coming back from injury, so it'll it'll be interesting to see see how he rebounds. Absolutely. Do you need something to keep you motivated and to keep fit, both physically and spiritually? Upward Sports Run for God Run Club has just what you need to keep you on track for both. Check out runforgod.com and join us today for pennies a day. You won't regret it. All right, we're back. And uh, you came up with a great idea, Co, uh, last week when you came up with this idea for a topic of how do you go about constructing a week of training? And I thought, you know, a lot of people, some people will follow somebody else's training plan and that's great. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're making up your own training and you're not following somebody else's plan, how do you go about constructing a week of training? So th- this is how I do it. This is the basic framework for how I do it. 
my first thought is, okay, how many miles do I want to run? I, I start with mileage and let's say I want to run 50 miles for a week and I decide I want to run 50 miles. Now for a 50 mile week, I want my long run to be probably around 16 ish miles. So the way I would start is I want to run 50 miles. I'll put in my 16 miler probably on Saturday. Um, and then my next step would be to go to my whatever workouts I was going to run during the week. Probably for me, um, and we can talk, we'll talk about this in a minute, but I would put in one good workout, maybe a track workout or something. I'd put it on Tuesday or Thursday or Tuesday or Wednesday and, um, and then structure that whole workout. And then I would just, how many miles do I have with my long run and that workout? And now how many miles do I have to make up for among those other days and vary it some, I'd probably run a little bit shorter on Friday before the long run. And then kind of the rest of it should be fairly equal. That's kind of how I look at putting together a uh, a week of workouts. What about you? Yeah, I'm about the same way. I start with mileage. Um, and then easy run days are just kind of filled in based on what's left. So uh, usually I'm doing two to three hard sessions a week. So yeah. a lot of times it'll be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for me. Yeah. So those will be about 10 to 11 miles. Um, and then my long run, depending on the week, you know, probably somewhere to between 13 and 16. Uh, and then it's, you know, what do I need to do on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to get to my mileage goal? Oh, to be young and be able to, <laughs> <laughs> to work out like that again. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the thing is, is one thing that you got to remember when you're scheduling a week of work is that you have to schedule recovery into your plan. Um, now that, and it all depends on the person, you know, for you, you can do two to three. You probably, if you do three, you, you're probably not as intense as you are. If you do two, yeah. I would imagine. Um, and that's all taken into account how, how, how your body recovers. Um, for me, I can do one hard session a week and one long session a week. And that's, that's about as much as my body can handle. So, um, but that's because I have to schedule in more recovery time. Because, um, like, when I do my long runs on Saturday, um, like today, today, I ran a 10-miler. The first five miles was uphill. <laughs> I mean, I literally climbed a mountain, 1,300 feet, and um, and then and then turned around and came back down. And um, I won't feel it tomorrow. I'll be fine tomorrow. But now on, th- on, th- on Thursday, yeah. I am, I'm going to be sore. Yeah. Uh, it takes two days for me to get sore these days. So, um, yeah, that's just part of being old. So I guess what I'm saying is when you schedule yourself these sessions, it's real easy to let your eyeballs be too big and go, I can do all of this, all of this hard work and not schedule enough recovery in there. Don't you think that's easy to do? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've definitely done that. Um, mainly in the summer, it feels like where I'll miss a workout in the beginning of the week. And so then I'll, it'll be hot and humid and I'll be trying to cram a bunch of miles at the end. And then by the, I get halfway through my long run and I'm toast. That's yeah. happened. That's happened many, many times. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's especially hard in the summertime because yeah. Uh, the yeah, it's a lot harder to recover. Um, so, uh, do you schedule in like recovery things? Like, do you schedule in like ice baths and things like that? Or do you do those as you feel like you need them? I more do them as I feel I need them. Lately, I've I've got a couple things I've learned um, that I have to do to stay healthy. Like if I don't do 
eccentric heel drops, you know, three sets of 10, two or three times a day, my Achilles is going to bother me. And if wow. I don't, if I don't do the Myrtle routine for my hips, my knees are going to bother me. Um, and so that's those, those I pretty much do every day and then everything else is as needed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so uh, I do the same thing with my calves. I do, a, I do a little bit different version of what you're doing, but I, yeah. I, I, I do that as well um, and have been for years. Um, now, of course, that's all. This is this is how we go about scheduling a week of training. But you have to take that week that you've scheduled and you have to fit it into a bigger picture. Um, periodization is what we call it. Uh, and and the, the idea behind periodization is to take a block, let's say three weeks. And during that three weeks, you have a you have a certain goal. During three weeks, I want to work on strength. So I'm going to do tempo runs and I'm going to do heel workouts. I'm going to do things that that lend itself to strength work. But I'm not going to do uh, – if I do any anything short and fast, it may just be some strides or something like that. But that's it um, because I'm building strength. And I take that block of time, and what we're trying to do when we schedule things in blocks like that is we're trying to get our body to adapt to that change. So for me, I've never gone on a very, a really long streak of, of over 70 miles a week, um, but I've run six weeks in a row over 70 miles the last six weeks. I'm finding 70 miles a week now to feel pretty good because my body's gotten used to it because it's adapted. And so that's what we want to be able to do is we want our body to adapt um, during those, those blocks. Do you now, whenever I schedule, whenever I schedule for other people, I usually schedule three week blocks um, and then kind of a three weeks up hard and then a kind of a recovery week. How do you like to schedule those, those blocks? Um, I don't normally have a natural up, up or down week. I kind of keep my weeks mostly level. I don't, I don't go ridiculously hard, but I try and keep it to where I, uh, can recover. Um, so a lot of, a lot of times my, my periodization is kind of early season. I'm doing a lot more Hills. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll, I don't get on the track a whole lot. Um, and then once we get to kind of later in the spring and early summer, when I'm trying to peak for some track races, I'll start moving into some more, um, critical track sessions where you're doing, you know, hard 400s and hard 200s and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So from long to short. Yeah, yeah pretty much. That, that's that's kind of <laughs> the way that, that, that I've always done it and always felt like it was the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, there, there are some people who do those same workouts every week. And I see these people who do, oh, you know, just that, the same thing. It's, it's the same workout week after week after week, and they wonder why they never get better. And it's because their body has adapted to whatever it is, the stimulus that they're giving their body, and it's it's it can't improve anymore on the same – it can improve a little bit, but not a lot on the same stimulus. So it's why you see a lot of times people who go from one coach to another – you get one stimulus with one coach. Another coach has a little bit different method. And you see a lot of times you'll see them move to another coach and they'll get better. And the reason they get better is not necessarily because that other coach is a better coach. They've got a different stimulus. And um, sometimes that's all it is, I think. So um, you don't want your body to have the exact same stimulus all the time. It's why it's why we vary the speed we run. You know, we we run some runs that, you know, I run runs in the, you know, in the eight, eight and a half minute range. And I run some in the six and a half minute range or, or faster when I'm doing workouts. Um, 
because we need to vary that. So, because our if our body gets used to doing the same thing over and over and over again, guess what it's going to do when race time comes? It's going to do what you've conditioned it to do, <laughs> right? Yep. So, um, and then you know the same thing whenever you're whenever you're increasing volume, the 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 ten percent rule is is always a good one. Although there have been studies to show the ten percent rule doesn't really matter. Um, but it probably depends on the person. 10% rule is you should only increase your mileage 10% from one week to the next. Um, and some people like to build in a down week where they have less miles. Um, some people will do like, uh, every other Sunday off or something like that. Um, but there's lots of ways to make sure you get the, the rest you need and it doesn't have to be a whole week long. And that's what you're saying that you do, right? Uh, any anything to add to to scheduling thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I think the ten percent rule is interesting, but I think you can be more lax on it the longer you've run, the more experienced you are. Totally agree. Um, because at, I mean, at, at some point, I did follow that almost you know pretty solidly. Um, and at this point, it'll be like occasionally I'll have a you know a really bad week. Like last week wasn't necessarily a bad week, but I had run I think. 65 the week before and 57 the week before that and then last week with you know being in new york and all that i only got in 52 miles but i'm still going to plan on going i still want to get up you know 65 to 70 this week um but yeah with experience and with you know total lifetime miles your body gets used to handling it even if you have a week or two down um but you probably should be more careful the, the newer you are yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. hundred percent. You know, whenever I, if, if I, of course it's been a while since I have not, not run, but <laughs> when I wasn't running my, my baseline was 30 miles. If I wasn't running at all, I would just start I would start at 30 miles yeah. uh, and my body felt okay doing that. Um, now other people, there's no way they could start with 30 miles. Yeah. They may have to start with 15 miles or, or 10 miles even. Um, so it, it, you're right. Um, the more experience you got very often, the better your body adapts to that kind of thing. So yeah, good point. Good point. All right. Well, I hope that's been helpful. Um, it is interesting to think about how you, cause a lot of times you see these, uh, training plans and you wonder, well, what's the rhyme or reason behind it? And hopefully we shed a little bit of light on that tonight. So now if you found this episode, um, interesting. Um, if you just were somehow you found, you just wanted to hear some of this stuff that we're talking about specifically, um, join the run for God run club. We have uh, talk about training. We've got some training plans that we think, uh, could probably help you. Um, if you're trying to get faster, um, if you're trying to reach a big goal, uh, and I think we're busy building maybe the best training platform you're going to find anywhere. Um, it's only 27 cents a day, uh, and you, you get those training plans. You get a group of people who are really, really supportive and will hold you accountable. Um, we have thousands of hours of content, uh, both between the, the podcast and other videos that are out there. And so, um, and if you like to hear stories, we have a ton of stories and we talk about them on the weekly regular run for God run club podcast. So hopefully you're tuning in for that already. If not, then, uh, then do that. They come out on Mondays, um, uh, at 5 AM and, uh, we'd love to, to have you there, uh, rate and review our podcast that will help us with algorithms and to get, get us noticed. And that's always good too. So we want to grow because the more we grow, the better off we are. Um, from a, from a, a spiritual standpoint, um, you know, we, we, 
faith is important to us, and we try to look at all we do through the lens of faith. Um, you know, we are runners, but we're also believers, um, and we're pretty bold about it. And we would love to for you to join us, no matter whether you're a believer or you're not. But we'd like to for you to hear some of the stuff we talk about when it comes to that. So uh, our goal is just to keep you motivated and keep you out there getting those runs in and try to help you with those struggles when you have them. Um, so if you want to join us, you can go to runforgod.com and join us. And we'd be glad to have you. Co, as always, I love talking running. I like your passion for it. Um, I'm so glad you got to go to Milrose. Man, I'm jealous. I will say that. Uh, I would love to have been there. Uh, but I mean, I, we had the, the the Olympic trials marathon wasn't that far away, and I didn't even go to that. So uh, I'm a slacker. I need to get to more of that stuff. Uh, it would be fun. So thanks for sharing your experience with us, and um, we hope that you out there listening are running with passion too. Any parting words of wisdom, Go? Uh, I don't know. Um, have a good week of training. Yeah, going. <laughs> That's right. Until next time, may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.